Welcome to the big interview from the Customer Experience Foundation. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week, and we are taking a step back to hear about the importance of mental well-being in the workplace. I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Bennett. Claire is the founder of Hornbeam Workplace Mental Wellbeing and a workplace mental health consultant. Claire has many years experience working in large corporate organizations and many within the contact center environment. She is a Mental Health First Aid England instructor, a City and Guilds accredited tutor for Suicide First Aid UK and a Crisis Line volunteer. Claire is passionate about getting mental health in the workplace right, which is why she started Hornbeam. She has seen the devastating effect when businesses get, get it wrong for all involved, so her mission is to be part of the solution. Claire, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to see you. So, Claire, the topic, mental health in the workplace, why is it so important? Tell us. Well, um, workplaces where we spend the majority of our time, yeah, and I think when you think about the workplace, it's, um, it's actually a large part of who we are for many people. It becomes part of our identity. So the workplace is a significant impact on our day-to-day. Um, but I also think for businesses it's really important because – your most precious assets as an organisation are your people. And therefore, we need to look after our people. We need to protect our assets if we're going to protect our businesses going forward. So really, it's 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 all encompassing when you think about mental health. It's such an integral part of so many parts of our lives. So everyone's talking about it, but not a lot understand it. Yeah, so can you bring I, that to life? Yeah, I would say... Um, there is a big bit of a kind of a myth, I suppose, around mental health, because lots of people, when you talk about mental health, think you're automatically talking about poor mental health. And that generally isn't what we mean. Everyone on this planet has mental health. So it's about how do we manage it? How do we react to certain situations? What happens to us when something negative happens in our lives? How do we bounce back from that adversity? How do we deal with our day to day? You know, so once we understand what our norm is, we understand when we move away from that norm and we can put things in place, protective factors, we can put resilience in place so that we can better manage our mental health in a more positive way. So the more we understand it, the more equipped we are to manage it in a positive way. Right. Okay. And uh, I know this is something you've done an awful lot about. What does the research and the stats tell us about this? Well, um, it's actually quite staggering. So when you look at the cost, for example, to a business, um, so it's at, on average, we're looking at about £45 billion pounds a year in the UK for businesses. Um, that's actually an increase of 16% since 2017. So it's only getting worse at the moment. Now, if you break down that 45 billion, lots of people think, oh, you're talking about absenteeism as a major issue. It is a major issue, but it's actually only accounts of 15% of that 45 billion. 
the biggest issue that we have in this day and age actually is presenteeism, which equates to 64% of that 45 billion. Um, And that is where people are coming into work, but they're unwell. They're actually not fit for work right now. So they're not as productive as they should be. They're not as engaged as they should be. They're not performing as the business wants people to perform. Therefore, the cost to that business is now far more significant. You also then have about 20% of that 45 billion where people actually just leave an organization because they haven't got the mental health or the well-being strategy right. So it's a huge cost. And actually, there are ways and means that you can do something about that. You don't have to sit and live with that cost. Um, And that's what I try to advocate with with businesses. Can you expand on that for us? So the the presenteeism. So I'm guessing a lot of this is hidden um, and, and you talk about people will just leave. And that's not the sort of thing that will get picked up in an exit interview. Uh, well, it, well, it depends. Um, I think from my perspective, presenteeism, the best way to identify it, to deal with it in a proactive manner is for people to understand when somebody is moving away from their baseline, when somebody is actually unwell. Um, in terms of their mental health. And you can see the impact on that productivity. You can see the quality of the work that somebody is producing starts to um, to diminish, for example. So once we identify that, instead of going straight down a disciplinary route because somebody isn't doing what they should be doing, they're not meeting their targets, we should be trying to understand, well, what's happening for this individual? And if we've got practices ways of working things in place you can reduce absenteeism but the best way to do that is to be able to identify it and your line managers are your best place people to identify presenteeism in the workplace okay so how do we support the line managers to uh to 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 be better and not just managed by the rule book uh, it, it's it's all about training for me. Uh, you have to equip line managers with the skills to be able to have an emotive discussion. It's not easy. Let's let's be fair. The majority of people in their everyday life will avoid having a mental health discussion because we don't know what to say. We think we're going to make it worse. Um, we don't know what to do in those situations. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, and so actually, with some training, with frameworks that line managers can work within, we can make make that difference for people. Um, your line managers are your culture. OK, they're so, so important because your people see your business through your line managers because they are the people that affect their day to day. So you have to get the recruitment right of your line managers. Line management is a skill in itself. Because somebody is an expert in a specific area doesn't mean they're going to be an amazing line manager. So succession planning needs to be thought about. Recruitment needs to be thought about when it comes to line managers. And then we need to train people and equip them with the skills and frameworks and policy on how to manage mental health more effectively in the workplace. We do get a lot of organisations, uh, and you will have seen this yourself, that say, well, we can't really do this because we're in a production environment. So, you know, in a call centre where you've got AHT, RAP, scheduled adherence, people may be saying they can't do it or we haven't got time for this. Uh, how do you do that and make it a healthy environment, a mentally healthy environment? 
I think there's a couple of things that you can do in any type of production environment. So whether that's contact centre, whether that's factory work, whatever that is, there's a couple of things to consider. Your working environment becomes even more important in those types of scenarios. So what what do you have in place? So if, for example, you're in a, you're in a contact centre, have you got the ability to have a, a desk that moves up and down so that you can stand up? You know, um, have you got access to water? Have you got access to refreshments? Um, do you have your breaks and are you encouraged to move away from your workstation? And do you have a comfortable area to actually stop and reju- rejuvenate from your from your break? You know, do you have that scheduled time to be able to take that breather? You know, those types of things can be done, but also just giving somebody elements of control so okay I know in contact centers breaks lunch times etc are scheduled but is it a case of well these are the schedules and people get to pick when they want to you what part of that schedule they want to take their break in rather than being told by a line manager when they've got to take their break that's a very small change but actually can make a big impact on somebody when they feel that they've got that element of control and I think in production environments and contact center environments actually the value of the role that that person plays in the organization is even more important if you look at the HSC standards around managing work-related stress, one of the key areas is around role. And role means that somebody understands, I am a cog in a wheel, but I know the value of my cog. I understand if I don't do this job, if I don't um, support this customer in this way, I'm not you know, align to the mission of that overall business. So can you align everybody's value and everyone's role to the overall business? And do they understand the part they play? I always use the analogy of the guy that worked for NASA and he was sweeping the floors. He was a cleaner at NASA. And when he was asked, what does he do? He said, I help put a man on the moon because he absolutely understood his role and how that contributed to the overall objective of that business. And so everybody should understand that because when you value it, then you feel better about yourself, your self-esteem is affected, and then that gives you an overall more positive experience in the workplace. Amazing, but not everywhere has such a great culture as NASA. People yeah. often fear a consequence, people don't speak up, So when you say spaces, talk to us about that. So that has to come from the top, okay? It has to come from the top. Your culture will start from how you are treated by your line manager. So every single layer within an organisation needs to be brought in to creating a psychologically safe environment for people, okay? And so the working practices need to be among all levels so board members and the people that work underneath those board members etc etc as you come down everybody is treated the same i'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do but it can be done and there are many organizations where they do it extremely well if i take mental health first aid england for example of course you know what they do is all around mental health but they lead the way when it comes to looking after their staff and looking after their people and they understand the impact and as a result they're a hugely successful um, community interest company hugely successful because they value their people and they put them first and that then in turn helps the bottom line 
It's not just about policies, though, is it? Um, you know, I've worked at plenty of places where they had a policy and it was just a piece of paper. You know, it's not about words on the wall or a page on the internet. No, absolutely you know, you look, not. You look, you look most recently at, you know, organisations like P&O, you know, and what they've done with it, with their stuff. I'm sure they had a wellbeing policy. So there's plenty yeah. of examples of organisations getting it badly wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It has to be a living and breathing thing. It has to be part of the way we do it here. This is how we do business. This is how this business runs. And it has to go through everything. So it's not just, oh, we have a stress policy, which, okay, yes, it's a legal requirement. We need a stress policy. But actually, that's reflected in all of the policies that we have in our organisation. So the the effect that a policy has on an individual needs to be understood. And actually, all of your line managers need to understand how to execute those those policies using the culture that is driven within your organisation. But it has to start at the top. Everybody has to feel that way about that organisation. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. You've spoken before um, with me about um, the, the four pillars that are important here. Can you bring that to life for us? Yeah, so um, at Hornbeam, we feel very passionately about four specific pillars, um, and that is around awareness, um, so awareness of mental health, understanding what mental health is, knowing that this is an a, a organisation that's really, really brought into workplace mental health. That is absolutely crucial. Okay, It's vital to make getting this right. Then you have the education piece. So we do need to understand it. We do need to know, well, what do we do when we find ourselves in this situation? So education about managing our own mental health, as well as identifying that in others and how to support them. That's really important. And it makes the difference. It makes a huge difference. You need to create an open environment. And by what I mean by that is that we normalize the conversation. Okay, it's not a taboo subject anymore. The more that we break those barriers down, then the more we're able to support people in terms of mental health. Okay, because we're creating a psychologically safe environment. Mental health is such a big issue because of stigma, because people think there's a consequence if I tell anyone what's happening for me. Well, we need to remove that because once you remove that, then actually people have early intervention and then they know that they can support their own mental health okay and that then is better for everybody and then the last pillar is the policy because you need that consistency you need to drive consistency through your business let's be fair we're talking about human beings okay so there are different personalities there are different ways of working everybody has that and you don't want to take that out of an organization because that's kind of taking the heart out of it but what you do need is frameworks and policies for people to work within because it that acts as a safety net, not only for the business, but for the individuals that work within that business. Being a line manager is really, really difficult. And actually, you as an organisation need to provide the tools so that a line manager understands the, this is my sphere. This is where I'm working. I've been given the skills. I'm going to use my emotional intelligence. I'm going to use my soft skills. And I'm going to make the best of this situation and support the people in my team. Really, really interesting, Claire. Thank you so much. Um, one thing I wasn't aware of, um, there are some legal obligations here as well, aren't there? 
Yeah, yeah, they absolutely are, which it's funny because a lot of people kind of overlook them because they're kind of buried in some of the health and safety um, regulations that exist. So Health and Safety at Work Act, the management of um, health and safety standards. Um, so they're kind of buried in there because they come under welfare sometimes and that can get lost. And there isn't there isn't always that much uh, guidance on exactly what that means for, for people. So it can be open to interpretation. But some of the things that are very plain that are, are in those those uh, legislations is around a stress policy. So you should have a stress policy in your organisation. You should also have a documented uh, risk assessment for stress. So this is where you are looking at work-related stress and you are putting in actions to mitigate it as much as possible within your organisation. This should be an active document because if you are audited by the HSE, you should be able to produce that document. Now, where I've seen that work really, really well is in organisations where they have versions of that per team. So line managers will be trained on risk assessments. They will understand how to do those within their teams when they know maybe there's a project of, you know, there's going to be a high workload for a period of time. What things can we put in place to try and mitigate as much as is practically possible work-related stress? Okay, And there's lots of guidance from the HSE around work-related stress and how to manage it effectively. Um, we also then have the Equality Act. So when somebody has um, a mental health condition that's been diagnosed and if they um, disclose that to an organisation and that is classed as a long term condition. So it would be in, you know, from their GP or the healthcare professional or occupational health where they say it's long term, which is that it's going to last longer than 12 months then that person is actually classed as disabled in the workplace. Therefore, we need to be treating them as you would with somebody with a physical disability. So you should be making sure that there are reasonable adjustments in the workplace so that person is not disadvantaged by their disability. So look at the signs and symptoms of some of the conditions that somebody's experiencing and what can you do as an organisation to mitigate any discrimination or any disadvantage that that person might have because of the signs and symptoms of their condition. So anxiety, for example, is a big one. You could have safe zones for people, places where people could go when they feel that anxiety is becoming overwhelming, a safe place for them to deal with their emotions and then come back into the workplace. Options of flexible working, you know, ways and means of working in different environments. All of those things can be considered um, and they have to be considered because it is a legal requirement. You also can't discriminate against somebody because they're disabled and you also can't dismiss them because of the, the, they're disabled. So they come under that Equality Act as well. So is this something that just HR should be doing? See, I don't think so. Um I'm not saying that HR don't play a big part in this. You know, a lot of what we're talking about here, because we're talking about policies, etc. Absolutely, HR are an integral part of this. But this is an entire organisation-wide buy-in. Everybody has a responsibility when it comes to this. It may well in some organisations be driven by HR. 
in other organisations, actually, I've seen it's a big part of the health and safety team, uh, depending on the environment. But health and safety teams sometimes take a very, very active role in terms of managing uh, mental health in the workplace, especially with risk assessments. Um, but I think that everybody plays a part in this. And actually, you're not going to get it right if you just think this is a HR thing. And that as a line manager, I don't have to have an emotional discussion with somebody because that's HR's job. That's just simply not how it works um, these days. And it's not practical for HR to own the whole piece. OK, so we've heard a lot about um, organisational um, impacts of mental health in the workplace. What do we do to manage ourselves it isn't all just on the employer. Now, how can struggling people support themselves or even uh, uh, how do you even identify it? Well, see, so again, this is where training can be really important because if somebody understands mental health, so you can have when, mental health and awareness training, stress and resilience training, um, there is no magic wand, okay? And I think sometimes people really want us to just go, here's a tablet, here's a magic wand, bada bing, you're cured. Um, and it doesn't work like that, you know, because actually we're talking about emotions. You know, I always say you don't wake up every day going, I feel exactly the same way as I did yesterday. You just don't, because we're talking about emotions. And from day to day, those can move around. And we can all experience periods of poor mental health, okay? We can all wake up for a couple of days at a time thinking, I just don't feel on my groove. I just don't feel fantastic. But actually, we can. that's normal, and we can manage it. We can put things in place to support ourselves. And once we've been trained to understand what we call um, your baseline. So what's my norm? Okay, everyone's norm is slightly different. So you have to figure out what your norm is. How do I normally react to things? How, what's my self-esteem like? How do I manage my everyday? You know, what, what it, what's me? When you identify what that is, you're far better, um, more aware or more equipped, actually, to understand when you move away from that baseline, when you move away from your norm. Okay, this isn't normal for me. I don't normally feel this way. And then when you do that, you can put things in place to bring yourself back to your norm, back to your baseline. But also, if actually over a period of time, that's progressively getting worse, you can now think, do you know what? I actually think I need to get some professional support. And that's where you would reach out for GPs. There's lots of other options. You know, you could go to plenty of places, uh, lots of charities and other organisations that you don't need GP referrals where you can still access psychological support. So, you know, there's lots of different things. And with education, with signposting, with employee assistance programmes, if you have them, if all of those things we can make sure that we're all managing this because you're right, it's not just for the employer. The employer can put the things in place, but actually employees have to also be brought in and engage in that and help to manage their own mental health as well. Yeah. Um, finally, Claire, is there a link with physical health and physical oh, yeah. wellbeing? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, the World Health Organization, they have what they call as a health triangle. So what they talk about is to have overall health, we have to look after three key areas. Okay, that's your mental health, your physical health and your social well-being. And all of them are massively, massively intertwined. So if you think, for example, the WHO did research and they looked at certain physical conditions um, and then those conditions such as 
type 2 diabetes, heart disease, um, sleep problems, those types of conditions. And actually, the correlation between those conditions and people experiencing poor mental health is really strong. Very, very strong links. You also then have, from a social well-being perspective, what I mean by social well-being as well is your relationships. So those are the things that that they're your safety net. They, those are those are the things that influence how you see yourself. They massively impact our self-esteem because if we've got good, solid relationships around us that are a two-way valuable relationship, so they've got your back, you've got their back. You know, we give and, and we support in in two ways then you are, you've got a safety net. You've got somebody that can catch you when you fall. And so what we know is that if we struggle to create those relationships with people, that massively affects, for example, our vulnerability when it comes to stress. You know, we, we are far have a higher level of vulnerability if we don't have those strong connections. So all of it is intertwined. We should be looking after all three aspects of our overall health. Really, really important uh, for learning there, particularly on a personal basis. And finally, Claire, um, what would you say to someone listening to this who uh, isn't feeling too good, just doesn't know why? I would say um, you, if you're identifying that, okay, I've moved away from my baseline, I know what my norm is, and this isn't my norm, and I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling either sad or anxious or any of those things. They are normal human responses, just to point that out. Everybody feels them. But if you feel that this is something that you really need to do something about, then I would start doing, have a look at Minds website, for example, go and have a look at what they have on offer. They've got downloadable tools that can help you ground in techniques, ways in which you can help to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system. And that's something that, you know, kind of balances out all of the hormones and chemicals that are in our bodies when we're in a stress state or, you know, when we're, we're not ourselves. The earlier we identify it, the more we can put something in place, the quicker we can aid recovery. But if we feel that it has gone further than that and maybe this is more intense and the impact on my day-to-day is more severe, then I would reach out for, for that professional support. So contacting a GP, you might have low, low, local IAP services, which stands for Improving Access to Psychological Therapies. Each CCG has their own version of that. You can Google what that is in your local area. Um, you can look for charities, support groups. They're all over the place. Just do a bit of research and you can find that support. But what I would say is that recovery from a short period of poor mental health or a mental health illness is highly likely and is very, very possible. We just need to access the support. Claire, it's been absolutely wonderful listening to you today. Thank you so much. And if any of this has supported just one person, then isn't that an amazing thing? Thank you for listening to us this week on The Big Interview.